Thank you for listening to the Your Mindful Coach podcast. This is Mark Balser. Today I'm excited to share with you some thoughts on maintaining a practice through a variety of distractions that sometimes make the environment or the situation of our practice difficult, including vacation and illness and just plain busyness. So I hope you enjoy what I have to share. I'll start by outlining the issue, sharing a little bit of my thoughts on why we practice, and then using that to inform some tips and suggestions on how to keep your practice fresh and consistent as you continue in your journey. As always, please visit www.yourmindfulcoach.com for additional resources or email me at mark, that's M-A-R-C, at yourmindfulcoach.com. Thank you. Today I'll be talking about maintaining a practice when conditions aren't quite ideal. There's lots of versions of that, but I'll be focusing on three main challenges to maintaining a meditation practice. And those are maintaining a practice through vacation, through illness, and through busyness. So the way I thought I'd structure this talk is to begin by asking the question, what happens when we're in these situations where our practice can't happen with the routine or the ideal we'd prefer? And then moving on to the question of why practice mindfulness and meditation? Because I think that really informs the steps that one might take to maintain a practice during times like this. And then I'll finally move into some practical approaches that you can try to maintain your practice. So I really like the words of Sharon Salzberg when she talks about life getting in the way. You really can't catch up. You can't wait for conditions to finally per be perfect because they're never going to be quite perfect. John Kabat-Zinn talked about how wherever you go, there you are. So you know, the promise of mindfulness is that we have it everywhere. Um, not just our circumstances and conditions, but the ability to be mindful and to be present is always with us. If we have our breath, if we have our body, we're able to use that as an anchor to bring us back to the present moment. And mindfulness practice really requires practicing a little bit every day, any moment that you can get, not so that you act wonderfully in the next moment, but so that you build an intention and a practice that inclines you towards right action, right speech, as you live your life. And of course, there's many situations where this can become difficult, even in situations where one might think it's ideal, like a vacation. Um, all different kinds of versions of not being able to find the time, not being able to find the place. So... Diving into vacation first, I've found that to be a challenge in my practice. I've spent many meditation sessions sitting in a Hampton Inn bathroom, wheeling in the desk chair, and trying, 
trying to meditate while my son slept in the bed in the main bedroom. It doesn't work so well. <laughs> um, the disruption of the routine that accompanies things in vacation and travel is a big deal. You might find yourself waking up in a room full of family members. You might have plans from morning to noon to night. Heck, you might not even have a chair. Um, I thought maybe I'd share a quick story of uh, one of the participants in my men's mindfulness group who was heading off to Hawaii for a month-long visit, a month-long vacation. And in our meetings leading up to the vacation, he would share how excited he was to finally get to a place where it would be perfect for meditating. And his plan was to get to this remote beach that he loved going to, walk up and down that beach having nothing but the seals, the birds, different animals as his companions, a real time and moment of peace. So he found his way to that beach once he made it to Hawaii. He prepared to do his body scan, lying there in the sand. And for the first two minutes, everything was perfect. And then all of a sudden, an increasing loud, loud noise that he identified as the sound of a helicopter in this remote area where he really had never seen anybody before. So he opened his eyes and saw it was a rescue helicopter and said, I'm not in any danger. They're not looking for me, so I can go back to my meditation. And you can imagine what happened next with his body scan. Thoughts and memories and ruminations came into his head as he wondered, was there somebody looking for somebody in the water? Was there an emergency? And of course, his perfect meditation experience was ruined. And so that's how this getting out of our routine can really grab us. Another example of something that gets us off our game of meditation practice is illness. And these can be illnesses, big and small, but even the smallest illnesses. A cold will give you nasal congestion, make it difficult to breathe. Perhaps you'll get a headache. And simply observing your breath or doing a typical meditation sitting practice can be very, very difficult. Observing your breath can feel like torture. And of course, with even more serious medical complications, getting into that position might be difficult and so on. You might find yourself waking up later. You might find yourself sleeping more or uncomfortable more and getting out of your routine. So that's another example um, that some of the tips that I'll suggest to you might be useful. And the last piece is just pure busyness that gets us out of our mindfulness and meditation practice. There's an old saying about a person who goes to a great teacher, a great meditation teacher, and asks how to get peace, how to get relaxation, how to get focus and calm. And the teacher responds, well, you should sit in meditation for 20 minutes every day. And the person says, I, I don't have time to sit for 20 minutes every day. 
He says, the teacher says, well, if you're too busy, then you should sit for an hour. So it's an interesting take on the situation of busyness and the need to take care of yourself, to take care of your internal experience. There's a wonderful book by David White called The Three Marriages, where he talks about the real need to nourish and feed your work, your relationships, and yourself, and that there's a conversation between those parts of your life, the work, the relationship, and the self. And, and you just you can't wall off or compartmentalize a stressful job, a challenging relationship, or internal difficulties. It finds its way out. So busyness can be a challenge, but I think there is some practical, very short practices that you can try to support maintaining that practice. A valuable way of approaching the question of how to maintain a practice through vacation, illness, and busyness is by returning to the question of why practice mindfulness and meditation. As for me, I found that my meditation practice supports a calmness, a focus, a relaxation, and it makes me less reactive. But it's not from an individual sitting practice. It's not from having just come off the cushion that I respond thoughtfully. It's a gradual process with lots of iteration where I sometimes find myself responding more thoughtfully one day to a particularly charged situation and totally lose it the next. So this, it has to be okay. It's part of our practice. So a practice of meditation and mindfulness isn't about having immediate results. Just like exercising and maintaining a healthy diet and getting the right amount of sleep pays off over time, so too does a mindfulness practice. And so hopefully you'll find yourself slowly becoming less reactive in inappropriate situations or more relaxed. And I think the flip side of that is the stakes aren't as high in every individual day. So thinking about your practice now is really just maintenance mode, almost like if you're a runner and when you're training for the big race, you're very intensely competitive. But over the winter, you might let it slide a little bit, let your body recover. And so maybe you're running just once or twice a week and maintaining your practice through times like I'm talking about vacation and illness and busyness isn't a time to perfect your practice. It's a time to keep it going so that when you do find that time to make it more consistent, it's there for you. You really, you just, you can't cram for the test of life. And so another really important element of why we practice mindfulness and meditation is its impact when the going gets tough. Jack Kornfield has a wonderful story in his book, A Lamp in the Darkness, titled The Zen of an Aching Heart. And he writes, In the Jewish mystical tradition, one great rabbi taught his disciples to memorize and contemplate the teachings 
and placed the prayers and holy words on their heart. One day, a student asked the rabbi why he always used the phrase, on your heart, and not in your heart. The master rabbi replied, Only time and grace can put the essence of these stories in your heart. Here we recite and learn them, and put them on our hearts, hoping that someday, when our heart breaks, they will fall in. And this story was reinforced when I was recently at a retreat, and one of the participants shared the results of her own sometimes stumbling practice. She uh, discussed how she had been introduced to the practice of RAIN, which I'll include a link to on my blog. But the practice of RAIN is a mindfulness practice where you um, recognize what's going on in your experience. might be a problem, might be a feeling. Then you allow it, you investigate it, and then you nourish it. And so it can be a very supportive, helpful practice. So this woman who was sharing was talking about how she had been introduced to RAIN and that she really had no idea how to do it and was saying she, she didn't know the acronym, she was doing the steps out of order, and it kind of wasn't for her. Uh, but she tried. And then she shared a sentence that was so profound to me that I'll carry it for quite some time. She was talking about how she had been introduced to this practice. And she said, and then one day something terrible happened and it was there for me. So this woman had practiced not knowing what the application would be and not even knowing how to do it right. But when she needed it, it was there. And I think having exposed to it and practiced it was the critical key element to allowing it to be there. So all I feel like we're doing in maintaining this practice is getting us ready for when we need it. So it doesn't require perfection every single time. So just do something. It doesn't have to be right. doesn't have to be perfect. But find a way to bring this practice into your life on a regular basis. So what to do? What can you do to maintain a practice through vacation and illness and busyness? The poet Dana Falds has a poem entitled Walk Slowly that I think addresses some of that question. Walk slowly. It only takes a reminder to breathe, a moment to be still, And just like that, something in me settles, softens, makes space for imperfection. The harsh voice of judgment drops to a whisper, and I remember again that life isn't a really race. That waking up to life is what we were born for. As many times as I forget, catch myself charging forward without knowing where I'm going. That many times I can make a choice, a choice to stop, 
to breathe, to be, and walk slowly into the mystery. So there's four main pieces of advice that I'd share with you. And of course, try this out in your own practice. Don't believe anything I say. The real key to a sustainable practice is proving this with your own experience, your own practice. So four pieces. The first is to lower your standards. The second is to find a way to connect your practice to a routine. The third, give yourself reminders. And the fourth, which is kind of the conclusion, do one thing and do it early. So the first suggestion, lower your standards. In these times where your practice environment isn't ideal, it's a perfect opportunity to practice with letting go of your perfectionism, allowing yourself to be flawed, and just recognizing this is what I can do today, and I'm just doing it. Sharon Salzberg has a great phrase. She says, just put your body there. And so sometimes it makes sense to let go of technique and maybe just close your eyes for five minutes. No need to follow your breath or scan your body. Just put your body there. And in that context, it's much more about what you're not doing, not looking at your phone, not complaining about some slight that you've received, not watching television, just assuming the position and see what happens. And that meditation might just be noticing the silence, noticing the noise, noticing the stillness or noticing the activity around you and recognizing that with our mindfulness, we already have everything we need. We don't need a dark, quiet room. If we have our breath, our body and our heartbeat, we can practice mindfulness. As we all know, the real work of mindfulness takes place in the world. So you might even try a meta practice which isn't a sitted practice necessarily, but perhaps as you're going through your day with very little time, you're on vacation, you're too busy. And as you walk past people and perhaps smile and say hello, you might offer loving kindness to them silently. You might offer the phrase, may you be happy. May you be healthy. May you be safe. May you be at peace. It's a wonderful practice to try at a train station stop, waiting in line at the grocery store, and just offer that wish in your own mind for the people around you. Another possibility is to do the practices of 20 breaths or stop, breathe, be. And stop, breathe, be is simple as that. You stop, you take a breath. And then after that breath's over, you just allow yourself one moment to be in your experience and notice what shifts. 20 breaths is much the same, but you're counting each of the 20 breaths. And hopefully this will allow you to release that instinct to discount these brief but very valuable practices. If our standards are the only way to practice is to sit for 20 minutes, when we sit for 19 
we haven't done anything at all. But it's really important to lower your standards when those standards just aren't achievable. Another suggestion is to find a way to connect your practice to a routine. So say you have a busy job and you really don't have gaps in your day, you might try a tea kettle meditation or a coffee pot meditation. Any routines wherein you wait for a few minutes. So it might be waiting for a bus, might be waiting for the phone to ring, might be waiting for your child to pick up your child. And so take that time while you're waiting for the tea to brew, the coffee to brew, and just simply observe the rise and fall of your abdomen. There's no need to have a goal or expectation. Just allow yourself to be present in whatever environment you're in. How about when pumping gas? There's a very strong instinct to take out the cell phone, go through one or two quick email messages or check the web. But what if you just stood there and watched your breath while the gas filled up your tank instead of reaching for the cell phone? Another suggestion is to give yourself reminders. And there can be many, many ways to do this in our technology embedded environment. You can download the Mindfulness Bell app. This is an app that rings every hour, so there's some flexibility of how you set it. And just it reminds you to take a breath, reminds you perhaps to sit if that's what you like to do. But it gives you just that one moment of mindfulness in your day. Another approach that many people use is to place colored dots throughout their environment in places that you'll notice them. So it might be on the dashboard of your car. It might be on the door of your refrigerator. And the idea behind that dot is to remind you to take a breath and practice mindfully, if only for a moment. And I think the last piece, the last suggestion is to just do one thing and do it as early as possible. I was listening to an interview with the comedian Mike Burbigley the other day, and he said, I like to write before I'm afraid of the world. And I think that can be supportive in a meditation practice as well, of just rolling out of bed and beginning your day with a practice, almost before you're really alive to the world. So a couple of things that you might try particularly when a sitting practice is difficult to embed into your current routine, is a walking meditation. And it can be simple as noticing the contact of your feet on the ground with each step. You might coordinate your breath with each step. And one other really intriguing approach to walking meditation is to use counting. I was recently... Uh, taught a way where you use sequential counting. So you count your first step as one, then you return to one for your second step, and two, and then one, two, three, one, two, three, four, all the way until you get to 10. And when you get to one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, 10, you start counting down. So with a step, you count 10 silently to yourself. With the next two steps, 10, 9, 10, 9, 8, and so on. 
I found that very clearing when I practiced. Anything I was worrying about or thinking about when I started that practice disappeared, at least for a moment. You can try the practice of gratitude, and that could be simple as writing down three things you're grateful for at some point through the day, perhaps with a reminder from your phone, or even writing, uh, even uh, doing a practice of your own, which you can download from my podcast as one of the seven mindful minutes practices. And finally, you can work with a body scan as you're going to sleep. So not only are you practicing, but you're also using it as a way to relax. And I have some guided body scan meditations on my website. You can find them all over the internet. Or you can simply walk through your body silently as you settle for bed. So just trying to bring your attention to your feet, then your ankles, then your calves. Many people will find that they don't even get through their whole body before they fall asleep. But it's a nice way to bring your body into relaxation to prepare for sleep. So that's about it for me today. I talked about what the dynamics of these distractions from maintaining our practice are, why we practice, and how important it is to be flexible, to be compassionate with ourselves when it's not quite working in order to allow ourselves the ability to have some consistency, even if it might not be to the magnitude that we're used to. And then finally, I shared some practical steps that you might try. So I'll have a blog posting in the next few days. And please uh, peruse my website, www.yourmindfulcoach, for more resources. Look at my podcast, which has many guided practices on the suggestions I made. And let me know if you have any thoughts or questions. You can be emailed at mark, that's M-A-R-C, at yourmindfulcoach.com. Thanks for listening.